In this episode of Des Island Torah, we speak to Charlie Harari, a world-renowned lecturer in personal growth and business strategy and a sought-after speaker who has founded many companies and is an investor. Charlie is an online media personality who has many online platforms, a new podcast, Mind Hacks, a flagship daily show, Unlocking Greatness, and much more. A law graduate from Columbia, Charlie has also written a book, Unlocking Greatness, and is an active leader in community organizations. Thank you everyone for listening. Just before we dive in, we just want to point out that this is episode 100. We have been really privileged to record over 100 episodes so far with all our amazing guests, some of whom have appeared more than once, who we have been privileged to work with. We are so delighted that we are able to provide a unique platform of Torah learning and we hope and look forward to continuing to do so. It's been a real zakhut to partner and work with many organizations and individuals, but it's also been a year exactly since we created and launched our first episode and it's been an amazing journey. We just want to thank all our listeners and want you all to stay tuned because there's so much more to come. We also want to point out that in partnership with Charlie Harari, our fantastic guest for this episode, Charlie has gifted our listeners with free access to his Mind Hacks course, which is usually $395. If you click the link at charlieharari.com slash mindhacks and use the coupon code UNLOCKING in all capital letters, you can access his amazing gift for free. Thank you so much, Charlie Harari, for joining us today. It's a real zakhut to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Okay, my first piece of Torah um, is connected to the story of Yehuda and Yosef. Um, if you remember the story, Yehuda goes down with his brothers to um, to Egypt. Yosef sees them they don't recognize him yosef accuses them of being spies and then basically says don't come back until you bring me binyamin right knows there's another brother the brothers go back they bring down binyamin and there's a moment in which he sets up a a crime that binyamin didn't commit in order to to hold him to see what the brothers would do, right? Everybody knows, or many people know the story. It takes place at the back end of our the laning of Beratius. Um, and the Parsha opens up, it's, an, it's a cool cliffhanger that takes place um, until you get to the beginning of the Parsha, Vayigash, when Yehuda steps up and now has to respond to these allegations. Now, to me, it's incredibly dramatic to think about a royal court in antiquity. We, 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 it's very hard to understand that. Maybe in England you have a little bit more of an understanding because at least you have royalty or what was once royalty, right? You have royalty there, but not the way it was where royalty was above the law. Um, we don't really understand that so much, but there was a time in which a king or a queen or a lord um, really had no due process, they could just go in and kill people. No one's going to say anything. So just the thought that you stand up to something like that is incredible. Um, and just just to picture the, the the royal palace and this massive 
monarch and the impossible scenario that you know the brothers found themselves you know you leave with with Abinyam and you, you kill your father you try to get him and you kill yourself like it's 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 an impossible scenario um and to think that there was one brother to step up amongst the rest um and he does he does Yehuda steps up and the, and the Pasuk says the verse says um, and the way that it is typically translated is he bows and says excuse me my master almost sort of like pleading with Yosef who he doesn't know is Yosef but pleading with the, the monarch um, to, to let him go to let Benjamin go and this whole thing is a big mistake so I, I, I heard in the name of the Svas MS that what it really means is he wasn't actually pleading with him he was actually standing up to him and saying B B is also inside me B within me Adoni is my master what he was saying to him was, you don't realize who I am, that I have within me the creator of the world, right? We are created, we have a piece of the divine within us, and we don't appreciate that. We can't. It's not our fault, because that's a spiritual source, and our tools for sensing is physical. So usually, if you can't feel it, touch it, taste it, or appreciate it, you, you don't get it but it's real and what that means is that we have an infinite amount of power and resilience and wisdom and um, empathy that is nestled within us that is in the factory settings more than we'll ever need for the rest of our life like you never have to become spiritual just to reveal it now when you go through life you compare yourself to other people so you look at someone who does more things than you and go, they're more spiritual than me. Or you look at someone who's more successful and they say they have more talents than me. And we only do that because we're just, what else do you do if you're a physical person? You, all you have is what you can sense. So you sense people's out, outside successes. But in reality, we have power and ability and spirituality beyond what we can ever use for our entire life. And so that power changes the paradigm of your life. And it goes from trying to do things on the outside to trying to do things on the inside, becoming inside out, working on self, building self, pushing self to try to explore what's on the inside. That moment where that came out into the world took place at that second that Yehuda turned to Yosef and said, Vayigash, Vayigash is from the Lashon of almost like attacking, engaging. It was not meek. He was not bowing his head. I got God inside me. Like you, you're messing with the wrong dude. And if you don't do what's right, I'm going to come after you. And in fact, Rashi says, I believe it's Rashi who says, definitely the Mepharshim I've seen, said that he actually was not meek. He turned to his brother and said, okay, okay, we got, I don't know how many cities here. Each one take a city to just go out and destroy. I'll handle two. So either he, we get Benjamin back or we're just going to destroy Egypt. That level of strength and resilience is beyond the physical. That level of strength and resilience comes from a connection to a spiritual source. Um, and to me, that shifted my perception of how I was made, and I think can shift the perception of anybody who's listening, to really take a moment to fully digest that within you is everything you need. And... The goal in life is not outside you. The goal in life is inside you. And the outside world will react to who you are on the inside much greater than the who you are on the outside.
Um, and so that Dvar Torah um, that really identified that was one of the few that I'll take on a desert island. Great choice. Um, I love the connection to B'Tselem Elohim. I think, you know, the shot of holiness is that Hashem tells us to be holy because he is holy. And we have the ability to do that because we were created B'Tselem Elohim. Um, and I think it's such an important message um, and great choice. Thank you for sharing. Sure. So should we go into your second piece? Okay. My second to our Torah is about um, Aram. When Aaron was given the command to alight the menorah, um, Aaron was instructed to light the menorah. And the words that are used is Baha Alosra Esaneros, right? Um, when you light the menorah, Baha Alosra Esaneros. So the Mepharshim point out that that's not really what lighting means. Like lighting, the word in Hebrew for lighting is Lahadlik. And Baha'alosha means to uplift. And so you're not really uplifting the candles like they're candles. You're lighting the candles. And so if you look, I think it's Rashi on the page says it's actually instructive of how to light the candles, which is um, if you if you take someone and you know, if anyone here is listening, goes and lights a candle, you, what you probably will do naturally is you'll go to the top of the wick and you'll light it. And that's the point where you'll just, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll strike the match or put the flame and you'll put it to the top of the wick and it'll catch fire and then it'll go down the wick into, until it hits the candle. Um, and what Rashi, I believe, picks up on is the fact that God used the word Baha'aloscha is trying to teach Aaron how to light the candles. You don't light the top of the wick and the flame goes down. You actually light the bottom of the wick and the flame goes up. And you have to hold the candle against the wick long enough so that the wick is that the flame raises on its own. That's you can almost picture that's now raising the fire, right? The fire starts on the bottom of the wick and it gets raised through itself, right? So Aaron would light the candles by holding the flame on the bottom, and the flame on its own would raise and raise and raise until it would hold on its uh, it would go by itself, and so. I saw a beautiful idea connected to this, which is candles have a lot of value and a lot of meaning in Judaism. Um, candles represent the spiritual, right? The physical is represented in the actual candle and the wick and the, fl the flame is really the spiritual. The Pasuk says, Kiner Hashem Nishmas Adam. You know, the candle of God is the soul of man. When God but someone passes away, you light a candle to commemorate. And in fact, um, many ways, the, the soul is connected very much to fire. Um, and it, it, if you look at fire, it, it really, you know, feels very much like it doesn't belong in this world. It's always reaching up. And if it didn't have a wick, it would never last in this world. It feels like a very, almost feels like a substance that's like physical and spiritual. Um, and so fire represents the, the, the soul. Fire also represents Torah. Because um, um, Nair, fire, is connected to the Torah. Um, and the candles are connected to mitzvahs. And so if you look at the way a, a candle is represented in Judaism, it's in Torah, and it's in, and it's in spirituality, it's in souls. And I think when you think about that and you apply it to the Pasuk, you learn a very important lesson, which is Baha'aloschas and Neros is an approach towards teaching. It's a, and it's an approach towards inspiring. It's an approach, an approach towards connecting to people. 
that when you're teaching people wisdom, Jewish wisdom, and when you're trying to inspire people to be better, the way you do it is not top down. You don't stand at the top and light the, the, the highest point of who they are and then hope that it travels all the way down to the lowest points. In this case, let's say that the mind and then trans translates down to their their emotions or their actions. In fact, you try to light a lower point. You try to get them where they are. You try to identify where people are today and try to light that on fire. You go down to people. You go down on a knee. When you go down on a knee and you meet people where they are and you uplift them for where they are, what will happen is if you just hold it long enough, if you keep on putting your fire where they are, the fire will rise on its own and they will catch fire on their own. And so the menorah really represents Torah. The Pasuk says, which means if you want to get smarter, if you want to get wisdom, go to the south. What does that mean? It means that the menorah was in the south of the Heichal. The menorah is the Torah. And if you could put the pieces together, you've got the Nair, which is the person, and the menorah, which is the Torah. If you want to really inspire somebody to become better, to become more connected, the way you do it, you find the, the lowest point that you can go to and you get down and you try to find a way to inspire them for where they are. And then you just keep on holding it and you keep on inspiring and you keep on giving them the flame and keep on giving them wisdom and empathy and acceptance. And you hope and expect that if that happens, they will, you will light a fire from within them, which will ultimately enable them to light the fire within themselves, which is Baha'aloscha Esaneros. That was my second Torah Torah I would take with me. Absolutely. It says in Mishlech, Kiner Mitzvah Torah, or the, the mitzvah is a lamp and the Torah is a light. And I think the idea of light is so profound when it comes to mitzvah. Like every mitzvah, if we invest pure thought into our mitzvah, like we become better and we kind of light it up. Um, and I think it's a really important thing to remember um, as we go through our lives and connect to Hashem. Awesome. So should we move into your third piece? Yeah. My third Torah is um, it's based on the Ramban with regards to the Mishkan. So with when, when we built the Mishkan, if you can almost picture what was going on, um, you know, Moshe comes down from Har Sinai um, and he's got the, the second Luchos. The Jews are probably traumatized from what they thought was the end of the relationship with God. I would only assume that after the Chet Egel and the smashing of the Luchos, it shook him up. Um, and Moshe goes back, comes down, and it's Yom Kippur. Um, and people, I'm assuming, felt relieved. And we probably don't appreciate this because we weren't there. But the Ananiya Kavod was the protecting, protective element the Jews had in the desert, and that went away when they sinned. Now, just to create, let's just create context. Imagine if me and you were driving in the middle of the Israeli desert, right? Like down south and it's a hundred degrees and, you know, Gaza isn't too far away. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's really desert down there. And we were all in these big, huge vans that had air conditioning and food and bathroom. And then the vans broke down and the driver's like, all right, everybody, we're walking. Now, picture feeling the way you'd feel exposed 
to the elements, to the weather, to who knows what. Now, that's probably how the Jews felt. There's more of them, but they were exposed without the Ananiah cover. Now, Moshe comes down, they get forgiven, and there's still no Ananiah cover. So they're probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is this is this relationship is never going to get repaired. And a couple of days later, on Sukkot, Moshe instructs the Jews to build the Mishkan. And this Mishkan becomes the, the, the and then the Ananiah Kavit come back, the Ananiah Kavit come back, which is why we have the, the, the holiday of Sukkot. So one of the reasons. So now this Mishkan starts to redefine their relationship with God. Um, and it needs to be appropriate. And so Moshe basically lays out plans that are probably the most intricate, most beautiful things they've ever seen. Even in Egypt, when they built pyramids, they probably weren't as um, exquisite as the Mishkan. Definitely not in the way that it was built. And it was temporary, but it was gorgeous. And the the, the artistry and the, the goblets and the menorah and the weaving. I mean, it was, it, was, it was well beyond what a bunch of slaves can possibly deliver. So if you can almost be there, like, great. Like, I, I need an extension to my home, but, you know, I can't build one. So, like, I, I'd like one, but I don't know how to do that whole thing, like framing. And I, I don't know how to do that. That's not my thing. So... Moshe's like, we're building a Mishkan. And the Jews are like, that must be amazing. But like, I don't know who's doing that, but none of us know what to do. Um, and the Pasuk says, um, Now, the Ramban picks up on that and says, why does it say that? Why does it say whoever, whose heart uplifted them? And he says, it's because they didn't know what they were doing. And the Torah is very careful in its language. Nasalibo means their heart was uplifted. And the reason why it said those words is because their hands that were trained and their mind wasn't trained. They didn't have hands that knew how to do it. They didn't have a brain that knew how to do it. You know what they had? They had a heart. But their heart didn't do it. So their heart inspired them. And what happened was people came to the Mishkan. As his words, Matzo Bativo, they found something within their nature that sort of indicated, like, I could do this. Like people that were like good at their hands came and said, I could learn how to make goblets. And people that were like good at weaving, you know, they maybe they made like needle points. They're like, maybe I could step up. People that were good at building, like people just had a general natural talent, nothing specific. They just came to the Mishkan and said, hey, hey, I'm here. I could try. And because they came to try, Hashem put within them the knowledge to do it. And that's how the Mishkan got built. It got built on the backs of a bunch of people that didn't really know what they were doing, but Matsubitivo, they found something in there, in there. In their, in their gut that said, you can do this. And the Chavaz Chaim says that that's how Kodesh works. You never really know. Well, he said, I think the way he said it was, when you step up in the world of Vodasa Kodesh, whether it's learning or maybe the community, and I'm, I'm expounding on his words, but you don't really know what you're doing. You, you sort of find that there's some kind of thing in your nature that could bring you closer to this thing, but you want to do it for God. You want to do it for the right reason. You don't really get it. When you have that mentality that you don't have to know how to do it before you do it, and you lead with responsibility, and you know that you have to take responsibility even though you don't have the ability yet, God gives you the ability. God gives you the talents. He gives you the strength. He gives you the wisdom. As my rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Warmberger says, if you ever want to climb a ladder, you have to go through a period of security, the rung, followed by a period of total insecurity, the abyss. You climb a ladder, you step through two rungs, you're in the abyss because you can't climb a ladder in life if you're not willing to pass through insecurity. 
you can't grow in life if you're not willing to say, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to try anyways. And that idea is, I think, how the Jewish people were, I think we were built in the backs of those people. From that moment until today. People that step up and do things that they don't really know how to do, but they have to get it done. And the makor, the the source for how God's going to hook you up is in the Mishkan. Uh, and so that would be my third Dvar Torah that I would take with me on an island. So interesting and important. So just to wrap up, we're just going to finish with one final question. So when you learn Torah, what direction do you choose to go in? Is there a specific book or sefer or collection that you instantly pick up first? Where do you head towards? So well, I'll, I'll share with you what I got from my rabbis is that um, there's, I guess, two ways to approach learning Torah. Um, one is through structure in which you learn specific things that you need to learn. Um, the challenge with just picking up Torah books sometimes is that you don't get the full picture because the, the more difficult things that are harder to learn we would naturally incline against. And so it's always important that whenever someone's learning, that they spend time learning things that are more fundamental because that creates a background and a backdrop to understand the larger, more interesting stuff. Um, and it's all interesting. If you just go slow enough and go deep enough, it's all a world of incredibleness. Um, so the first way of literally learning is finding something that is really fundamental and sticking to a small amount every single day and allowing the patients to get through things over months and years um, and waking up one morning and not even knowing where the time went, but knowing that you accomplished a lot. Um, but the second way of doing it also, or I'd say it's both, it's two, two sides of, of the same coin. Um, and if you have your sort of fundamental diet of Torah, lots of times in life you chase things. At least I, I, I do sometimes. I'll chase an idea. Something's in my head and it's interesting to me. And I'll either look for a safer that speaks to it or I will find a safer and say, whoa, whoa, this I stumbled upon something. And spending time on it to understand it, to figure it out, um, to get more, far more books on that. It's critical until you get a certain level of, of larger understanding about it. And so there's really, it's two, it's two different sides of the same coin, sort of the stable diet of the fundamentals to give you the background. And then there's the um, exciting, you know, sort of investigative chasing to really get underneath something that is, is, is exciting you to, to see its place in Torah. That's such a great and interesting approach. So thank you so much for coming on today and sharing such great Torah with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's such a good. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.